Welcome to the 1909, your home at the state news for everything happening on campus and around Lansing. I'm Lily Gwynny. So this is our second to last episode of the 1909 for the semester, and we've had a great run. I've really enjoyed bringing you all the highlights of our newsroom's coverage over the past few months, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Of course, we'll be back in January of 2023, so it's not goodbye forever. That being said, our news roundup this week will cover a few stories from before the Thanksgiving break as well as the past week. We'll be recapping stories on everything from protests, strikes, and campaign finance to a frankly devastating business closure. Uh, So let's get into it. Quality Dairy, a local chain of convenience stores, closes Michigan Avenue location on November 19th, and I personally was absolutely shook by this announcement. I don't know where I'm supposed to get my French onion dip and Snapple now. That place was my (laughs) go-to. Oh, man. Quality Dairy marketing manager Phil Platt said that the location at 808 East Michigan was one of the few locations being leased by the company, and they decided not to renew their lease. Quality Dairy CEO Ken Martin said in an email to the state news that the factors that led to the closing include the location's small footprint and the recent changes to Michigan Avenue that affected traffic patterns. Martin added that the company was actively looking for a replacement site, but did not specify if that location would be in East Lansing. The current building is now completely empty inside, and the quality dairy signs have been taken down. It's so sad, you guys. I'm sure we've all driven past it, and it happened so fast. Quality Dairy still has 26 locations in the Greater Lansing area. In addition to the Lake Lansing Road store, other locations near campus include 2400 East Michigan Avenue and 400 South Pennsylvania Avenue in Lansing, and 1699 West Grand River Ave in Oak Miss. Earlier this month, Michigan voters elected Democrats Dennis Denno and Renee Knocky Jefferson to the Michigan State University Board of Trustees. They secured their spots on the ballot at April's Democratic Endorsement Convention and essentially stopped campaigning after that event, according to their most recent campaign finance filings. Following the convention, Denno spent nothing on his campaign, and Jefferson's only expenditure was a $10,000 billboard purchase. November's losers, Mike Ballow and Travis Menji, spent $16,941 and $27,549 after their conventions, respectively. Former Republican candidate Mike Ballow said the two parties simply approached the race differently. He said that while he and Menji had their party's support at the convention, in the months that followed, they were left to work independently, which led them to do more direct campaigning with voters on MSU issues. Denno and Jefferson secured their party's support and then stopped campaigning on MSU issues, focusing instead on supporting top-of-the-ticket Democrats with donations and volunteering. The current members of the board were elected in years where the results of the trustee races varied very slightly from what happened at the top of the ticket, by just 2.8% on average. This year, the Republican candidates were neck-and-neck with the Democrats, outperforming the gubernatorial Republican Tudor Dixon by 8.63%. The number of voters who filled out the trustee section on their ballot varied as well. On average, a current trustee was elected in a race that received 85.45% of the turnout compared to the gubernatorial or presidential race at the top of the ballot. This year, 89.9% of those voting in the gubernatorial race also voted in the MSU trustee race, a higher ratio than any of the current board members' elections. So that's a pretty good thing. We're seeing more people vote on these down-ballot races. So these party-line splits also apply to fundraising. Democrats currently on the board all ran campaigns almost entirely funded while donors, while Republicans gave significantly to their own campaigns, with two of the three being entirely self-funded. 
Aside from the trustees themselves, trustee races were primarily funded by Michigan unions and individuals. Unions tended to give $1,000 to $5,000. The average contributions from individuals were a few hundred dollars, with some notable exceptions. The United Auto Workers made major donations to every Democrat on the board. Progressive members also solicited large contributions from the Michigan Education Association and AFT Michigan, a union representing MSU's non-tenure professors. Candidates also raised from individuals. Many collected donations larger than $1,000 from family members, while other supporters usually gave between $100 to $500. Campaign finance experts interviewed by the state news said that freer, fairer elections could be achieved with public funding for down-ballot races like the trustees. Patrick Llewellyn, the director of campaign finance at the Campaign Legal Center, wrote in an email to the state news that lesser-known races like the trustee race can be exclusive, only being achievable for wealthy individuals or those with access to a network of wealthy donors. He sees publicly funded elections as a solution. Daniel G. Newman, author of Unrig, How to Fix Our Broken Democracy, said in an email to the state news that some places like the state of Maine in the city of Seattle provide public funding of election campaigns. Candidates in those places can run for office and then have the campaign money it takes to compete without being dependent on the connections to special interests or being wealthy themselves. I want to thank our culture reporter, Alex Walters, for that interesting look into campaign finance at MSU. And speaking of MSU trustees, Pat O'Keefe resigned from the MSU Board of Trustees in a letter to the governor on November 30th. In his resignation letter to Governor Whitmer, O'Keefe stated that he had, quote, serious concerns regarding the resignation of former business school dean Sanjay Gupta and that he feared the board would not disclose the results of the investigations into the matter. He also wrote he hopes university influencers and stakeholders demand answers. The resignation comes one month after he made controversial comments at the October 28th Board of Trustees meeting. In his comments, O'Keefe stated that he was, quote, tired of reading about the sexual transgressions of the faculty, which are like reading Fifty Shades of Grey and are as long as gone with the wind, without knowing what the outcomes are of such behavior. And that's the latest in the MSU Board of Trustees. Workers from the Lake Lansing Road and Stoddard Avenue Starbucks locations participated in a strike on November 13th in a bid to convince the corporation to begin bargaining for a union contract in good faith. The location on Stoddard was closed for the day, while the Lake Lansing location remained open, with the strikers urging customers not to go inside. The strike fell on Red Cup Day, Starbucks' most profitable day of the year. The promotion attracts thousands of customers looking to receive free plastic red cups with any purchase of a seasonal drink. One of the busiest days of the year is one of also one of the most hectic for Starbucks workers who hope that the loss of profits from their strike will draw attention to their cause. Both the Stoddard and Lake Lansing locations voted to unionize in June 2022 under the Workers United Labor Union. And by striking, these locations are joining a nationwide protest of over 100 Starbucks franchises attempting to bargain with the corporation. Lily Barrett, a contact action team representative for the Lake Lansing location, said Starbucks is legally required to negotiate in good faith for a contract with the union. The protests, specifically in the Lansing and East Lansing areas, are a reaction to a meeting recently held between workers and Starbucks representative. The workers said that they felt their needs were not being heard in the meeting. Started Starbucks worker Mia Mesiner said that the representatives met with them for three minutes after the workers waited six hours to meet with them. Misner said the workers had a list of 25 proposals that they were looking to discuss with the representatives. Issues include wage negotiations, dress code, seniority, job descriptions, and disciplinary actions. 
Workers said that the Stoddard location deals with understaffing in the face of high traffic, leading to long lines and complaints from customers, making for a stressful work environment. So last week was obviously Thanksgiving, and here at MSU, that holiday has complicated meanings for Indigenous students. Michigan State University is among 106 operational land-grant universities, or institutions of higher education that benefit from the Morrill Act. The act granted federally controlled land to U.S. states to establish primarily agricultural colleges. Indigenous students find it important to remember how the legacy of colonization permeates MSU, as stolen indigenous land is the foundation of the land-grant university system. According to MSU's land acknowledgement, the university occupies the contemporary lands of the Anishinaabeg Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi peoples. Social relations and policy junior Neely Bardwell, who's the co-chair of the MSU North American Indigenous Student Organization, or NASO, said being reminded of this is an isolating experience. She said that, uh, quote, the university flaunts the fact that we're a land-grant institution and that there's not really a broad understanding of what those implications are. Social work senior and NASO co-chair Roxy Sproul said that the effects of the Morrill Act go beyond stolen land. She said indigenous students at MSU have some of the lowest retention rates and highest dropout rates, as well as being the smallest racial or ethnic group on campus. She said native students at other land-grant universities experience similar statistics. NASO's main priority is to make sure that Native feel, students feel safe and respected. Sproul said she hopes MSU will change the name of the Moral, of Moral Hall and drop the, quote, Pioneer Land Grant University signage across campus. She said MSU needs to become more culturally competent towards Indigenous people and teach their history accurately. A protest by student organizers with MSU's chapter of the Sunrise Movement was stopped by Spartan Stadium security during MSU's final home game against Indiana. During the game, Sunrise students stood at the top of the stands in the student section and unraveled banners reading No Oil Money and Trustees Divest Now. Their protest is part of the group's larger push for a full divestment from fossil fuels by MSU's Office of Investments and the board's investment committee. Comparative Cultures and Politics sophomore Jesse Estrada-White said that they stood with the signs visible for about 10 minutes before the intervention by security. He said at that point, a member of stadium security approached them and said he would confiscate the banners. Estrada White said he then stepped aside to talk to the security guard in hopes of stalling him for, quote, as long as possible, but that the guard was insistent that they had violated university policy and would have to forfeit the signs. Eventually, Estrada White said organizers gave security the banners and followed the guard back down through the stadium. When the guard then threw the banners in the trash and Sunrise organizers went to retrieve them, Estrada White said they, quote, got kicked out. They basically told us that we had to leave. MSU Deputy Spokesperson Dan Olson said that based on his talks with Spartan Stadium Management, the Sunrise students were permitted to stay at the game as long as they gave up their signs. The students were not asked to leave the stadium, Olson said. They were just asked to give up the signs that they had because that's a violation of the policy. Olson said in an email that Sunrise students, quote, left voluntarily after stadium personnel educated the individuals of the no-sign policy. An online PDF of the Spartan Stadium game day rules lists, quote, flagpoles, banners, or signs as prohibited items. Olson said that the enforcement of that rule during the Indiana game was consistent with past instances. He and Spartan Stadium security could not point to specific instances of the policy being previously enforced. When asked if security would have handled the incident in the same way if the signs were in support of the team rather than protest against the university's administration, Estrada White said that his guess would be that they would not police the same way. He said also that organizers weren't aware of the rule before the protest. 
Divestment from MSU's fossil fuel funds is currently at a standstill. In 2018, the university announced that it would exit all public investments in fossil fuels and not make any new investments. But today, the university still holds about $90 million in private investments and funds. MSU has not exited direct investments, as many are contractual, and pulling out could lead to further fees for the university. Many of the funds are controlled by asset managers, leaving the board out of control over what the money itself is invested in. The board believes the investments in managed funds will expire by 2031, though they say they cannot be sure of that date. In a show of consensus in the face of protests, the Board of State canvassers voted on November 28th to certify the November 8th midterm election results of all of Michigan's 83 counties. The meeting lasted nearly four hours and heard several heated public comments, one of which led to the removal of an attendee from the room. Former Secretary of State candidate Christina Caramo and former U.S. Taxpayers Party gubernatorial candidate Donna Brandenburg also spoke out at the meeting against existing election laws. The State Board of Canvassers consists of four members split evenly between Democrats and Republicans. All four members pushed back against claims of fraud during the meeting. Republican board member Richard Housecamp said that accusations of impropriety during the process of counting votes were unfounded. The board's unanimous certification marks a departure from the tensions that surrounded the certification of election results in 2020 when canvassers narrowly avoided a deadlock that would have sent Michigan's votes to court. MSU political science professor Marty Jordan said that this year's certifications in Michigan and other states with similar electoral outcomes could represent a turning point in the national dialogue about election integrity. He said that Republicans may be realizing that candidates who perpetuate falsehoods about election fraud are harmful to their policy agendas. Michigan was marked during the midterm cycle as one of the states with a large number of candidates on the ballot who routinely repeated false information about election results. All three Republican candidates at the top of the ticket had asserted that former President Donald Trump was the true winner of the 2020 presidential election. Swarms of candidates across the country, from school boards to state houses to bids for Congress, ran on these platforms centered around what some have called the big lie, but they didn't seem to have electoral success with swing or independent voters. In Michigan, election-denying candidates' wins tended to be in solidly conservative districts, whereas competitive races tipped in favor of Democratic candidates. Jordan said that sweeping losses in Michigan will likely force the state GOP to change the way it approaches election integrity as an issue in future races. So what does this mean for the demographic of voters for whom election integrity and the falsehoods that surround it is a central issue? The movement could sort of begin to peter out as state Republican parties move other topics to the top of the priority list and the rhetoric shifts away from election fraud as an immediate threat. As for future elections, particularly the forthcoming 2024 presidential primary, the GOP will likely stand at a crossroads when it comes to addressing election integrity. Jordan said, quote, It's something that the Republican Party is going to have to find a way to navigate and sort of stamp out in a resounding fashion to say, no, we're not going to continue to perpetuate these myths, these lies. And if we do, it'll be at our own defeat. And that brings us to the end of our episode of the 1909 for this week. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts every week on Mondays. And so I hope you all have a good rest of your week. And signing off from East Lansing, I'm Lily Winnie.